Hi, friends. This is Mercedes from The Noshery. And this is Rebecca from Foodie with Family. And welcome to another episode of My Plate is Always Full. We're, we're always hungry to talk about food. Uh, brought yes. to you by, um, well, again, brought to you by us. Always. That's right. <laughs> we are... We are fully in possession of and responsible for every bit of idiocy that you hear <laughs> on this podcast. Gosh, idiocy. Uh, I would say that is an accurate statement. That is right. <laughs> I guess I guess we own it. Um. Yes, we do. <laughs> and in our last episode, we talked rice. But this week? Uh, we are going to be talking about dairy. Specifically... Yeah. All the delicious dairies. Okay. Well, actually, that's not specific. Specifically today, <laughs> we're talking yogurt, uh, fresh mozzarella, goat cheese, and other unaged, soft, kind of delicious, spready cheeses. Yeah, I'm kind of fluttering my eyebrows right now because cheese <laughs> fills the holes in my heart. Cheese completes me. Cheese is my life. And I also love yogurt. So uh, you love cheese, you love yogurt. You know, if you're talking about, I don't know why, it made me think like currently with this topic of conversation, you could take Swiss cheese, which is full of holes, and yes. fill it with soft cheeses. <gasps> oh my gosh. That's actually Another, kind of like, brilliant. There, it's, this, che- this episode is filling your Swiss cheese heart. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it's like inception but with cheese it's a cheese within a cheese within a cheese instead of a dream within a dream right is it cheese turducken is that like i don't know how you like turducken cheese you know what i mean but you know what yeah, i'm saying because like turducken I do. is still like turkey duck but anyways i digress i'm getting distracted i don't know if you know this <laughs> but i also freaking love cheese so yeah. uh Let's cut the cheese. (laughs) Rude. (laughs) All right, let's get into know and everybody else knows that you have some cheese history for us <laughs> well yes of course i mean <laughs> I, I i could talk for hours about the history and cultural impact of cheese but then i think you'd be straining for a way w-h-e-y to shut me up <laughs> oh my gosh i i I have no words. You love me. You know no you words. love me. You you do. But no, but you I, just took you just took like your normal like one line single word cheesy crappy joke, pun, crappy pun, whatever, <laughs> and turned it into like an entire dissertation of pun. Well, I like to think I'm improving with age, much like a cheese. <laughs> ah, except today we're not talking about aged cheeses. No. So let's. Let's talk about the history and science behind cheese because cultured dairy products make a seriously massive subject. So I think we're going to have to split it into two shows. I think we're going to go for our first two-part show, right? (laughs) Yes. There will be a to be continued. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I think think, so. I think that's a good plan because there is a whole lot of stuff happening in the cheese world. 
Um, first, okay. uh, we're going to go over young or unaged cheeses, you know, fresh cultured dairy. Also, for instance, yogurt, kefir, uh, and fresh cheeses like mozzarella, goat cheese, ricotta, cream cheese, cottage cheese, uh, Feta cheese also falls into that category, or some feta, like some of the feta cheese, and yeah. mascarpone. So think, Yum. you know, spready. Think malleable. Think, yeah. um, you know, that's that's kind of what we're we're the the category of cheese that we are discussing. And I have often wondered, who the heck thought of cheese in the first place? <laughs> I mean, let's think. Good about question. This, okay, you look at a cow, and you see, I don't know. Some white liquid coming out of its udders, and you think, I'm going to pour myself a cup of that. I mean. Um, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it probably wouldn't have been me inventing cheese. I was just like, who, who thought of this? I also, you know, and then I'm thinking to myself, not only am I pouring myself a cup of this. Cow liquid? Udder juice, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> But then on top of that, somebody goes, yeah, I kind of, I want this to last longer. So (laughs) let's make that happen. How can we make this last longer, be somewhat solid, sometimes smell a little weird and still eat it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm, it's, it's a weird thought. I mean, I will eat pretty much anything. I will try anything at least once. Same. I am very curious, like, what was the thought process there? You know what I mean? Who invented cheese? (laughs) Yeah. And you know what? Here's the... Maybe maybe this is weird. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. But there's a lot of mystery to the original cheeses. What What we know is that cheese making, we can prove that it goes back... As far as seven thousand years, that but is we're some pretty cheese. I'll tell you. What. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely some aged cheese there. Um, but we, while we can prove that it goes back seven years ago or seven seven years seven thousand years, we're also pretty positive that it predates that by a lot. I mean, we're talking the current theory scientifically, goes that it was an accidental discovery in the Neolithic era. In other words, 12,000-ish years ago. I just, I mean, still, okay, so even the accidental (laughs) thing, like the accidental discovery, is mind-boggling to me because you would think, you know, a lot of times, specifically you know the smell of something being sour, or this, or yeah, it, it doesn't has, smell like, good. Mold on it, you know, like blue cheeses, because you know those are uh, a sour smell and mold, you know, and everything like that. That's like a sign of no bueno. You know what I mean, right? And it's not an appetizing smell or yeah. sign. So I'm just very curious. As I'm obviously the art of cheese has developed a lot over yes. the years. So yeah, there was absolutely. like a base. But I'm just wondering, in order for you to get to cheese, even the most basic cheese, there's yeah. some sour and there's some funk and there's something like not quite right going on. Right. If you don't know what is happening. Do you know what I mean? And that's that's part of the part of what is building this theory that it was an accidental discovery. Like somebody put aside a clay pot filled with this stuff later 
And, you know, it was probably a teenage boy, let's be honest, <laughs> who picked it up and was like, I'm going to eat this anyway. It must have uh, been it, because exactly <laughs> like not only did they set it aside and it gets sour, but then they're like, I'm going to put this in my mouth. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm all in. Yeah, that's <laughs> in in my anecdotal experience as a mother of five boys. That seems like a very likely thing they would do on a dare. So, yes, <laughs> cheese is we know cheese is old and the oldest archaeological proof comes from 7,000 years ago. Like I said, we have proof going back that far. They found clay sieves with dried remains, and then they ran a chemical analysis on those remains, and it indicated that it was cheese. So they found this in Poland and Croatia. And then they also found shards of holy pottery, um, as in filled with holes, not with the Holy Spirit, (laughs) just FYI. Um, And it was found in Switzerland from the year 6000 BC, and it was hypothesized to be shards of cheese strainers. Interesting. Now, I mean, that would make an interesting charcuterie cheese plate situation. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You said I make terrible jokes? Come on. I mean, we're talking about some seriously aged cheese here. (laughs) Oh, that was worse. Okay. I guess we're both on fire today. Um, Yeah. Cheese predates recorded history. We know this much. And like I said, the theory is that it was discovered by accident, which makes sense, you know, given our whole, you know, who looked at the cow and said, I'm going to drink that. And then, you know, who, who thought, well... Yes, let's hold on to this and see what happens later, you know. But Weirdos. the current the current wisdom um as they theorize goes that it happened when someone stored some salted milk because salt would have been used for preservation as soon as salt was discovered. Uh-huh. Um that they stored it in an animal stomach because that was kind of like the proto Tupperware. I mean, I guess if you're in a bind and you have officially lost all of your Tupperware, Or if it hasn't been invented yet. Or, you know, you just can't find that stupid lid that's gone missing. (laughs) Well, if you have a goat stomach, you don't need a lid, right? You just tie it off at the top. Seems completely logical. Right. Makes sense to me. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's sort of, I guess it's all in your perspective, right? It's probably better than storing it in a hollow in a rock. Absolutely. Considering the times, it. It, you know, I mean, think about how much animal skin or stomach or anything like that through, you know, was used to as containers and, per, and for preservation. I mean, I, sure. if you really think about it, it's kind of ingenious. It sounds now today dark and weird and kind of gross, but in its time, it was really quite clever. Right. Well, I mean, if you think about it, if you're living in the Neolithic era and you have managed to kill an animal, you're going to use every dad burn part of that animal, aren't you? Uh, For sure. So here's the thing. This is why we're theorizing that stomachs were the storage containers. Oh. Uh, You know where I'm going, right? Yes. Because stomachs contain... Stomachs contain rennet. Yes. Which is necessary for cheese. It is. And we'll get to why it's necessary in a minute. But first... We're going to take a little side jaunt into the wonderful world of yogurt. I don't want to run jaunt. (laughs) 
I'm really uh, how about a side right now. <laughs> a side amble into the world of yogurt then Fine. yogurt because <laughs> yogurt's delicious yes yogurt and is yogurt delicious. i love yogurt yogurt is also ancient shocker right <laughs> well i don't know why now i'm thinking about space balls <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> If you haven't seen the movie, you got to see the movie to get the reference. But I'm not going to okay. distract you. Let's move on. <laughs> and she's also not going to spoil Spaceballs. So your assignment this week, folks, is to watch the movie Spaceballs and check in with us when you get the reference. And <laughs> yes, yeah, so yogurt is ancient. And the history of yogurt is also a little bit murky. But we believe it was invented in Mesopotamia around the year 5000 BC. So that's pretty old. Yeah. As well. <laughs> I mean, and yeah. I mean, I can keep, I can be making aged cheese jokes this entire time, but. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want so, pl- to age the joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you don't want it to get stanky? I don't want it to get stanky and, <laughs> and tired. Okay. So Pliny the Elder. We all know and love Pliny the Elder, right? Uh, I don't know. Just Do say I? yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. You love Pliny the Elder. So he was quoted as having said that certain nations knew how to, quote, thicken the milk into a substance with an agreeable acidity, end quote, oh. and serve it with honey. Yes. Right? Because some things are eternal, That's including one of the favorites. deliciousness of a bowl of yogurt with honey. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. So Actually, that mean- was the first recorded mention of yogurt, but... We know it goes back further. So we're going to fast forward, though, to King Francis I of France. How appropriately named is he? (laughs) Francis from France. Francis from France. I wonder if that (laughs) was planned. (laughs) I wonder. But he he reigned from um, 1515 to 1547. And bless the poor king of France. He suffered from a severe diarrhea, which no French doctor could cure. Pretty nasty. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, does not sound like But it. not a good time. It, right. So his buddy and his ally, Suleiman the Magnificent, who was the Ottoman of the Sultan Empire. Wait, I'm loving these names. Reverse that. The Sultan of the Ottoman Empire, not the <laughs> Ottoman of the Sultan. He was not a footstool. He was not a footstool. Like, he was what? the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire. And he sent his personal doctor, who allegedly cured King Francis I of France by feeding him yogurt. Oh, because he needed some bacteria. Right. He needed friendly gut flora. Right. So Francis was so grateful that he spread the word about this wonderful food that had cured him all over France and all over Europe. And then France and yogurt became tightly linked culinarily. So this is in the 1500s. I, I mean, just think about it. To have yogurt prescribed to you. I mean, yeah. prescribe me some yogurt with a little bit of honey, maybe some fruit, <laughs> some fig maybe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd be down with yeah. that. I mean, talk about a useful food. Yeah. I'm telling you. And doctors still prescribe it, air quotes, to well, this day. I mean, it totally makes – I mean, am I crazy to think that the rennet that you need from – animals which is in the stomach of animals to make yogurt and cheese also like that bacteria introduced into your stomach helps you i mean am i am i is this weird you're not totally off however i'm gonna say one thing regular yogurt 
does not contain rennet, but there is a kind of yogurt that does contain rennet. And it's something that you like. What do I like? <laughs> Emma, I'm a, I mean, I'm a big fan of that, that thick yogurt. You know what I mean? The thick, like, uh-huh. ske- is it skier? Yes, how you pronounce it is it? skier. Yep. Now, is Greek yo- now, Greek yogurt isn't the same. It doesn't have the same bacteria, even though I also like it because it's nice and thick. But it's, yes. it's strained is what does it correct? You're correct. So there are a lot of similarities between Greek yogurt and skier. A lot of the method of making them is the same. So when you make yogurt in its simplest form, it's milk that's been heated to just shy of boiling, about 185 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. And that's done to denature the proteins so that they don't form curds. You know, you want it to be smooth. And then you inoculate it with friendly bacteria to help preserve it. And as the friendly, happy bacteria grow in the milk, they digest some of those naturally occurring sugars in milk, making it a little tangy. And this also acts as a preservative. Mm. So that's that's yogurt making 101. With Greek yogurt, you take it another step and you strain that yogurt. So you're straining the whey off of the protein because the protein is what's um, coming together in the the thick yogurt you're and, and that's as, why yogurt's so high in protein and as much as i love all like yogurts um uh-huh. i really do prefer the thick it's almost like like a really soft cheesecake you know what i mean yes like yeah i, I prefer the I thick prefer ones it, too yeah to like you know your standard yogurt um right Actually, honestly, I'm not a big fan of just the standard sauce. I'm always really sad when I go to a restaurant and they're like, and it comes with like a yogurt cup and it's like this like runny yogurt. Yeah, I just, I feel like that yogurt could have tried a little bit harder and become more delicious, but (laughs) it's just my own personal preference. But the difference between Greek yogurt and skier, because, you know, both of them are thick, both of them are creamy, is that um, their origins are a little bit different. Whereas a thick yogurt was the end goal in Greek yogurt making, skier was a byproduct of what the Icelanders actually wanted, which was the whey, because they used whey for preserving meat and fish. Oh. But they're also brilliant people, and they realized that the resulting waste was delicious. And there we have skier. I mean, and if you're one- going to be out, I mean, if you're in Iceland, you're going yeah. to take advantage of everything as much as you can. You betcha. So. so there's one other little difference between skier and Greek yogurt, and that's what you kind of touched on earlier, and that's that skier uses just a little bit of rennet, which again, we're going to get back to in a minute. But before we before we talk about rennet, we need to talk about kefir or kefir really quickly, because it's kind of a cousin to yogurt. And it's the it's the young blood in this discussion, right? <laughs> the young um, blood. <laughs> yeah, it originated around the um, Caucasus region in the 18th century and then made its way up to Russia. And unlike cheese and yogurt, it's made with a symbiotic bacterial culture. In other words, they it's dance. a combo of yeast. Kind of, yeah. They work together. They do the tango. <laughs> yes, it's it's a combo of yeast and bacteria. So have you ever seen kefir grains? I have not. And actually, it wasn't... I've only tried kefir like a handful of times because it's uh-huh. so liquidy. Um, it is. It kind of weirds me out. 
Okay, so kefir grains themselves or themselves are uh, well, they're less than appetizing looking. Don't they look like Oh wait, I have seen them. They look like cauliflowers. Yeah, well, kind of, but they're clearish. So, you know, well, how to describe it? You know the glue that holds labels to plates or dishes? And you have to kind of roll it off yes. to get it off of yes. things. The one that then yeah. you can kind of stretch and mess with. Yeah, that's that's what kefir grains look like, but larger. Delicious. Yeah, I know. Delicious, huh? <laughs> so the way kefir was made for many years, here, we're, we're getting back to the stomach thing here. Okay. So the way kefir was made for many, many years was that milk was stored in a bag made from a goat's stomach along with kefir grains, and it was hung by the door to a house and anyone who came through the door would give the stomach bag a good shake (laughs) thereby keeping the grains and milk well mixed okay so which is sort of an i guess like an early doorbell maybe (laughs) it's an interesting strategy but you know when you get here shake my stomach would (laughs) you so the result um if if you have not tried kefir, is that it's tangy, a lot, you know, like yogurt. It's kind of effervescent. It's sometimes referred to as the champagne of dairy. Makes me wonder, like, if I have an allergy to kefir. Like, it, does it? Ha- it goes through a fermentation. You know how, like, I react sometimes to certain yeah, fermentations, yeah. and like, I can't have kombucha. Kombucha, kombucha, kombucha. Um, uh huh. Your face uh, turns all red. It does. I have like this, I don't I, I don't know if it's like an issue with digesting like certain enzymes or the tannins or what the heck. But anyways, it makes me hot. Yeah. Um, it makes it hot. It makes me hot. So I, but again, I've only tried kefir like a handful of times because I just get really weirded out by drinking things that feel like they should maybe be solid. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's sort of, it's sort of somewhere... In between a glass of regular whole milk and a thing of cultured buttermilk oh in thickness, gosh. I would say. No. <laughs> Wouldn't you say that's accurate, though? I think so. I mean, in I terms just, of... It's okay. just like, I just get so weirded. Like, even... like We talked about like boba tea. Like, I'm not a big fan yeah. of boba tea because I don't think you should be chewing your beverage. And Yeah, even, well, I watched you suck back a boba tea with some pretty big enthusiasm a while back. I was so thirsty. <laughs> You're like, and I specifically asked for no boba and they put the boba in and I was like, screw it. I am thirsty. I am drinking this. And I was like swallowing those stupid freaking tapioca pearls because it's just I get so weirded out by having to chew my beverage. Yeah, I know. But but back to the kefir for a moment, because you don't have to chew that. There are no chunks in it. The kefir grains are strained out and it is gaining in global popularity right now because of its super high probiotic content you can find it at a lot of um farmers markets now a lot of yeah um like farmer if they're dairy farmers or goats or anything like that they're also selling kefir now yeah and you can actually get it in the grocery store a lot of grocery stores sell it alongside the yogurt products so it's a drinkable option and actually i have one son who regularly requests a bottle of kefir so you know, yeah, either it tends to be something you either love or really want nothing to do with. Uh, but take a guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I know it's it's going on the celery list for Mercedes. <laughs> I don't know if it's that, you know, 
Okay, it's not quite that yeah. far. I mean, celery is <laughs> it's pretty, further down the list. Pretty, de- yeah. You you got to be in a really bad place to end up next to celery. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's leave yogurt and kefir and celery alone for a while, and let's get back to the rennet and cheese. Yeah, because so that is the let, real key to our whole talk. I know, I know, it's important. So let's let's tell us a little bit about this uh, rennet situation. Okay, so rennet, as you may have deduced already is a naturally occurring enzyme in the digestive tract of animals. Uh, It happens in highest concentration in the stomach of most animals. And what it does, among other things, is to cause milk to curdle. And while it might not be something you'd want to pour on your cereal, curdled milk is basically baby cheese. Well, I mean, we all know about little Miss Muffet who sat on her tuffet eating is it was she eating her curds away or what did, what did yes she, she was okay yep so it's does basically cheese right? have you ever actually had fresh curds i like have cheese curds? it's delicious they're so oh, yeah. good and they're squeaky they are yeah and and the curds and whey in the miss muffet rhyme that's basically cottage cheese which was one of the very first cheeses that we know of and here's the thing and um, I'm going to give you a warning because it's going to get technical and scientific for Ooh. a minute here. Yeah, let me get my notebook. <laughs> no. Okay, you got your got your pencil ready. Take some notes. Milk is a colloidal suspension. That means that it's a suspension of fat and protein mole- molecules floating in a water base. Um, and in fresh milk, the protein molecules repel each other, kind of like putting you know positive and positive magnet. And yeah. together they repel each other so that they naturally distribute evenly through the milk. That's when milk looks creamy. And milk is naturally slightly acidic. Mm-hmm. But when we drop the pH even more by the addition of another acidic ingredient, the protein molecules stop repelling each other. You so neutralize the, it. That, essentially, like yeah, you- that, delicate, that delicate balance that keeps that colloidal suspension happening is disrupted when you add more acidity. And this allows them to stick together or coagulate into the clumps that we call curds. And what's left is the watery liquid that we call whey. Oh, so people figured out that lowering the acidity of the milk would cause the curdling to happen on purpose. Yeah. Which is also like, I mean, that explains when you, you know how like when you're baking or something and you're out of buttermilk, one yeah. of the quickest ways to make buttermilk is just to add um, like either lemon juice or vinegar to whole milk. Right. So you're acidulating milk, which is technically not buttermilk, but it's a darn good buttermilk substitute. Yeah. yeah. You're not actually making, but it, it, it helps. Um, it helps as a substitution. Right. So, you know, we, we talked about curdling the milk, which is when you acidulate the milk and then you know, think of those as like a cottage cheese or ricotta type thing. Mm-hmm. But then somebody took this slightly acidified milk and they stored it in a calf or goat stomach and found that the curds strengthened to the point that they could drain them. So at that point, this this is where the rennet comes in. Because cottage cheese and ricotta don't have rennet. But when you add rennet to those little curds, it becomes stronger Then. When we had stronger curds, some genius, and I'm not saying that sarcastically, I really mean it, whoever it was, <laughs> I love, they discovered that if they heated those curds, they would stretch. Mm. 
And we know this happened by the year 1500 in Italy with the milk of water buffaloes. And I bet you know which cheese I'm talking about. We ended up with mozzarella. Or also, you see, even now, today, um, you know, there's mozzarella, like the generic mozzarella at the grocery store. But you also see buffalo mozzarella, which is made with, um, is buffalo and bison the same thing? I I don't know. Anyways, it's made from milk from the buffalo. <laughs> I just started thinking about that. I should know this because I spend, you know, 400 million hours a year in the city of Buffalo, New York, and they're pretty proud of the buffalo at the zoo. But I don't actually know if buffalo and bison are the same thing. I do know that water buffalo milk mozzarella is delicious. Yes. I have also had it. It is muy bueno. I like it on my pizza and I like it on its own. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and you, this is, you have, uh, yes. you have actually, I have been present while you have taught some people how to make mozzarella. That is correct. In fact, that is in the early years of our friendship. I yeah, believe. I think that may have been when we first, no, it's probably the second time like we met like hung out. Yeah. Like we met the yeah. first time and we were like, oh, okay. And then we met again. We're like, okay, we'll hang out together. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. I, I can, I can handle her. I, I think this, this could go places. It all started with cheese. <laughs> we have a, our friendship is cheese based. Thank you. <laughs> What's it based on? The fact that we both really like cheese. So yes, I have taught mozzarella making and it's really, it's a fun thing to do. It's, a cool process watching it go from being a regular old gallon of milk to being a pound of stretchy, fabulous, fresh mozzarella. And it's like doing a delicious magic trick that takes 30 minutes. It is very satisfying. Like when you get to the process of like stretching. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a lot of fun. It's fun. You just kind of want to walk out the front door, stretching your courage, showing people things (laughs) like, Hey, look what I, look at what I'm doing. I'm making cheese. Can you make cheese? Would you like to learn to make cheese? I can teach you how to make cheese. I'm like a puppy. You know, I want everybody to be as enthusiastic as I am about these things. But it's really fun. And also, we need to talk about mascarpone mm, and one of my fa- sour my cream favorite. and creme fraiche, right? <laughs> okay, let me just say that in the department of all of these like cream cheese peoples, I don't know, not peoples, yes. cheeses, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Yeah, sour not people. Cream, yeah, like sour cream, creme fraiche, cream cheese, mascarpone. I love yeah. mascarpone and creme fraiche. Those are my Me two too. favorites. Favorites. So they're made using a method pretty similar to making yogurt. Yes, they are. Okay, so here, here, here. Let me let me tell you. Let's let me tell you. Let me please let, tell me. Let me tell, tell me. Talk to me. Talk to me. How it goes down. Me. Okay, because I okay. actually done this also myself. So for sour cream. And creme fraiche. Milk is heated to a certain temperature to um, to denature the proteins. Um, yeah, this ensures a finer curd than the than regular old cheese. You know, uh-huh. so think of the I mean, obviously opposite of cottage cheese, which you can kind of see those big fat curds in it. Um, right. It is. In, it's inoculated with a friendly, happy bacteria. <laughs> And then allowed to spoil rapidly, thereby preserving it. Uh, so for mascarpone, which is a full fat, heavy cream, is mm. heated. Yeah, which is probably why it's one of my favorites. <laughs> well, I but think so. But it's heated to a low simmer. 
Then Tatarnik or did I pronounce that right? Tatarik? No. Tatarik? You threw an N in there. I know. I always say, I always like, I love to add things in there. Um, But also known as citric acid um, Mm -hmm. is stirred, is stirred in. Then what happens is, is that the cream starts to uh, coagulate and it thickens Mm -hmm. as it cools. And then you refrigerate it overnight. And then the following morning, you strain it through cream cheese to remove the the whey. I think you mean you strain it through cheesecloth. Did I see cream cheese? Because if you're straining it through cream cheese, <laughs> that's an entirely different process. But, clearly, you, know, you know, I'd be willing to try <laughs> mascarpone strained through you cream clearly cheese. clearly know what I have on the brain. So you strain it yeah. through cheesecloth, <laughs> cream cheese. I don't even know how you would possibly do that. Um, you strain... <laughs> It'd be fun to try. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. You just strain it through the cheesecloth, and you get left with this luscious, creamy product that you pretty much spread on everything. You put it on. Oh, yeah. And I love to... Have you ever mixed it into uh, risotto? I have not, but... I know both you and our friend Mary swear by now, mascarpone in risotto. Technically, adding cream, like any kind of cream cheese or sour cream, not sour cream, sorry, uh, mascarpone into a risotto is kind of cheating because technically you probably should just more depend on the remo- the starch and the stirring for the creaminess. Yeah. Um but who cares? I like to add mascarpone to my risotto. It is freaking delicious. Well, so, I think then that I need to try this officially. Period. Because, end of story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and honestly, I love mascarpone in... Well, I like to put it on scones. Yes, of course. Like people would put clotted well, and, cream on. Exactly. And I understand clotted I'm, cream is another option. I was but, about to say, that would take us into the into clotted cream. And then all of these, these cultured uh, dairy products, like, uh, so I'm thinking clotted cream, creme fraiche, mascarpone, um, sour cream. You know, think about like sour cream is traditionally, you'll see it either topped, of course, I think being topped on, so... With Mexican cuisine, here in the United States, we tend to use a lot like just sour cream as the default. Right. But in Mexico, it's actually crema, which is right. sour cream, but it's a much thinner product. Um, it's right. And you can drizzle a, a it drizzle. over the top of something. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it is also a cultured milk product. Um, in, in And I would say in that department. I agree. And don't forget, you know, since we're talking about something that's a little more drizzly, so to speak. Don't forget cultured buttermilk, which we talked about briefly. Yes. Um, It's very similar to yogurt. And it's actually made, again, in a way that's... So many of these are made in very similar methods. It's a little runnier than yogurt usually. And it is done at a cooler temperature and for a longer fermentation time, which makes it tangier than yogurt in general. And that's really what happens with all of these different dairies. Like if you were to just quickly read the instructions, um, Mm -hmm. especially um, these cultured milk ones, they, which it's all cultured milk, but you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like the cream cheese, sour cream, uh, buttermilk. It all sounds like everything's using the same process. But what will usually fluctuate is maybe the type of milk that you're using, the fat content in the milk. 
um, the amount of time. Um, yes. And maybe just a few degrees of temperature will make a huge difference. Yeah. Not and, to mention and it can the bacteria, be the, culture too. the type of yeah, mm-hmm. exactly the type of culture or bacteria um, or acid that you're adding to it. And there are so many combinations that it would be impossible to go over every single one of them. But to think that somebody figured out somewhere along the way that the way W H E Y had to work it in one more time. Someone someone figured out somewhere along the line that five degrees of difference. could make the difference between say a yogurt and a sour cream yes or you know how long you maintain it at a certain temperature can make a difference in whether you're going to make an aged cheese or have a fresh cheese i just think it's incredible that somebody did all that work for us that so that we can have all of this delicious food (laughs) i actually contributed an article to uh when i was contributing to uh the pioneer woman um, mm-hmm. about cultured dairies. And so I kind of broke down the different um, cultured dairies and w- how you would use them and the temperatures and how they're prepared and like just those tiny little nuances that make them all different. Like I said, our friendship is based on cheese. I know. So we'll probably add that link there if you're um, – it doesn't have – it's not talking about all that we talked about today, but specifically on this topic, it, it can it gives you a little – synopsis. <laughs> and if you if you want to geek out on cheese in a big way, I'm going to put a whole bunch of sources for the history of cheese and some of the science of cheese in the show notes. And I do actually have a couple recipes to share on how to make your own buttermilk, how to make your own mozzarella cheese. Um, what else do I have in there? Do you have, I think you probably, don't you have oh. a ricotta? I think, do I have a ricotta? I No, I think you might have a ricotta. I have a homemade copycat skier recipe oh so i'll pop that in the show notes too but there's so much you can read about the history and science of cheese and we just don't have the time to go over all of that there's also a great cookbook called the uh what was it it's right here next to me, so I was trying to see. It is Artisan Cheese Making at Home. Um, I actually got it as a gift, I think, from my husband for Christmas one year. It's a really good book. He was I- making a hint. Yeah, I know. He's like, make me some cheese, lady. <laughs> <laughs> I think that year I got this cheese-making cookbook, a butchering cookbook, um, and maybe a cocktail one. <laughs> huh. I'm like... This is, these are, there's an interesting theme here. You know what I mean? And he was sitting on the couch waggling his eyebrows at you as you opened them, right? Yeah, like, I know. cheese, <laughs> cocktails. So, Woo. but yeah, we'll uh, link to all of that in the show notes. And um, so on that note, I think we have said more than a mouthful about unaged cheeses and cultured dairy products. <laughs> <laughs> That was a mouthful in of its own. Um, yeah, it was. So in our next episode, we're going to talk all about the wonderful wide, wide world of aged cheese, how to store it, what you need to do to enjoy it to the max. So we'll oh, probably yeah. talk about also the different preparations on it and literally how to eat it, which is basically slice it and put it in your mouth. Of course, there's other ways to use it, but that <laughs> is my recommendation. There's a little more to it than that. <laughs> but yes, we, we will discuss discuss at length um, how to take care of your cheese. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
So if you have any questions about this episode or any of our past episode, please send us uh, emails with your questions to myplateisalwaysfull at gmail.com or reach out to us on Instagram or Facebook. You can find me, Mercedes, at thenoshery.com. And you can find me, Rebecca, at foodiewithfamily.com. And you can find the podcast with all its show notes at myplateisalwaysfull.com. Please like and share, subscribe, listen, leave a review. We love to read reviews. Um, Yes, we do. Tell all of your friends. And then if you've already listened to a past episode, just listen to it again, because there's a lot of really good information in these episodes. Thanks for listening to us today. Make sure you tune in next week for another episode of My Plate is Always Full. And until next time, stay hungry, friends. Join us next week for another helping of My Plate is Always Full. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe through your favorite podcasting platform, leave a review, and share it with your friends to spread the love. Sorry, I have my I have socks on with these like fuzzy Birkins and I just took them off uh-huh. and I'm like, oh, my feet are a little ripe. Oh. Are your feet going to distract? Is the smell from your feet going to distract you? I don't know. I need to take my socks off or something. It's kinda- you know what's funny? It's, it is kind of funny because we're going to be talking about cheese and you're talking about stinky feet. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I didn't think about that. All right. I mean, a quick episode. Everybody appreciates a quick episode every once in a while. Can yeah, please? and then we'll we'll go longer with the hard cheeses yeah. because that's <laughs> more of a discussion. <laughs> <laughs> that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs>